Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back into the pod. We got a good one here. I think you're going to enjoy it. Everything tied to what decisions went down, why they went down, some scuttlebutt, some rumors, what to expect, what might change. Got a good pod for you here. And by the way, if you're digging this kind of stuff like what you're going to listen to Paris and I talk about for the next 45 to 50 minutes, if you have not already, please go and rate and review and leave a leave a good comment, a funny comment. Leave a question over at Apple Podcasts. We want to keep those reviews coming in. Tell a friend and... I'm going to try and get GP to do a couple of uh, kind of listener-submitted either segments or an outright episode coming up in, in September and October. Have a little bit of fun with it. We've got some good questions in the can, but I want to get another good – I want to flood the zone and get a lot more in. So if you haven't done it already and you're digging the pod, please, if you could be so kind, uh, do so and uh, send GP a note. Tell him you love him. Also, the U.S. Open, it's here. It starts Thursday at Wingfoot. The first cut golf podcast is incredible. If you are a golf fan and you are not already subscribed to it, I promise you, if you enjoy this pod, you will enjoy that one. They're going to have preview episodes, round-by-round recaps. If you're into betting on golf, it's going to have everything with DFS analysis and all that. So first cut golf podcast on CBS Sports. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And earlier today, college basketball got an official start date for the 2020-21 season. It is November 25th, otherwise known as the day before Thanksgiving. Norlander, I was on radio when the news broke. You handled the reporting. So I guess the best thing is to just turn it over to you. Explain to folks first, if you can, why it's November 25th instead of, say, November 10th or November 21st or some other day in between. Yeah, let's get into the good stuff right away here. Um, So, yes, November 25th is the intended start date for the college basketball season. And the oversight committees, as I previously reported, had suggested that this go to November 21st, and that was the formal recommendation sent to the D1 Council last Friday, five days ago. However, um, I was told, and I want to be clear in how I uh, share this information, I talked to Dan Gavitt on the record earlier today, and I'll have a story, a Q&A that you can read with a lot of stuff about why we're here and what's next and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what I'm about to share with you, I never discussed with Dan Gavitt in any kind of regard. This is just my info gathering and what I think happened here today. So as I understand it, Dan Gavitt uh, was one of a few important people that was really adamant about having the season start on November 25th. And then the oversight committee, as is its power to do, looked at everything, considered all the MTEs, the multi-team events, and said, you know what, with so many of these starting on November 23rd and a couple actually starting, scheduled start on November 21st, we think it would be best to bump up the season by about four days, get it done on November 21st, and and just use that runway toward the rest of uh, the rest of Thanksgiving week, including Maui Invitational, et cetera, et cetera. Well, wouldn't you know, GP, the D1 Council met today, and the D1 Council, for those that are familiar Familiar, one representative from all 32 leagues that have Division One men's and women's basketball 
And I don't know why it got to this point specifically, but we are at November 25th. I mean, I know one reason. Gavin told me on the record. November 25th, they estimate 76% of campuses will have all of their entire student bodies off campus on November 25. As opposed to November 20 and 21, it is 43%. And making these decisions for health and safety reasons is the first and foremost reason for doing this. Also significant to me, the November 21 date never made sense at all because that's a Saturday. We will have college football and we will be leading into an NFL Sunday. You have Wednesday now. November 25, if we can start then, you have a day to yourself. There will be no NFL. There will be no college football. There will be no NBA. There will be no NHL. There will be no pro baseball. The only major American sport that will be played on Wednesday, November 25th this season will be college basketball. And that in and of itself, I think, is a positive upshoot. So uh, I'll toss it back to you, GP, for any reaction or further questions. But why are we here? Why November 25? Those are the initial reasons. And there was some noise leading up to today, last night, into this morning that that November 21 day wouldn't necessarily for sure hold. There was even speculation that the Big Ten deciding to do what it did today as well, return October 24, might have college basketball say, why don't we just keep the November 10 day for now and see what we can do? But there's a lot of logistical things for why that's not the case. But here we are. 1125, 70 days from when we record this podcast, GP. If all goes well, that's when the season will begin. Um, it seems pretty clear to me the reason they settled on November 25th isn't about competition with football or anything else as much as it's about what you referenced, which is um, you have a significantly lower number of students on campus if you just wait those four days because of the Thanksgiving break. And, you know, you, you, it, it just it's, it's totally rooted in common sense. The fewer people on campus, the less likely you are to have an outbreak. So I do think that decision was rooted in in safety precautions. But um, the byproduct of that, no matter what the motivation was, is that you do start on a more reasonable day because you're exactly right about launching your season in direct competition with college football. It's just a mistake. Do you remember when they used to start on Fridays? Yeah, man. And it was, unless you were, it, dire, it, 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 it was ridiculous, right? Yes. yes. Totally ridiculous because you, you start your season on a Friday. There's maybe two good games, maybe two good games. And then what happens by the time people wake up on Saturday morning, it's college game day. Your folk SEC game, mid afternoon, primetime stuff. Sunday, you got the NFL. And by the time you get to Monday, which is sort of like the talk radio window, Nobody's looking back at a Friday night non-league game between Auburn and Oregon. It's all football, football, football. So they intelligently decided to move the start of the season a few years back to Tuesday. And that was perfect because you, you're you not competing with high school football. You're not competing with high, you know, high school football on Friday, college football on Saturday, NFL on Sunday, Monday night football. Tuesday, it's all you. And when we, we started doing it with the Champions Classic, perfect way to start the season. So um, I don't think that was the driving force here. The driving force was 925, I mean, 1125. There's fewer people on campus. It's a safer place to start. But the, you know, one of the good things that comes with that line of thinking is that you, we will launch this season, presumably, if it goes off as scheduled now, we will launch this season on a more reasonable day to maximize exposure, attention, everything else. Without a doubt. And listen, if we can start on that date, I think it's got potential uh, for, to be a really great day for college basketball. But, I mean, there's so much connected to what we had happen here, GP. 
you know, <laughs> I will tell you this. I mean, there was there was high confidence this morning and yesterday and Monday that the teams playing in your Maui Invitationals and any notable MTE that was really scheduled to start Monday, November 23rd, that that, that the 21st was going to hold or that the 23rd would be the date. They weren't thinking they would go back to the 25th. And it's not that those events won't get played. It just it further throws a wrench into the schedule because now you're going to bump it back. Are you going to play those on the 25th now? Just bump it back a couple of days. If you do that, um, there is a bit of a domino effect with these other teams having other non-conference games that are going to be scheduled scheduled end of November, early December. Um, And I'll get to that in just a second. Let me just quickly tick off what else was decided and what was not decided on Wednesday by the D1 Council because this was a scheduled four-hour meeting that went 30 minutes over, so they couldn't even still get to everything they absolutely wanted to get to. But here's what you need to know. The maximum allowable games for college basketball this season is now down from 31 to 27. It is only 27 games if you play in an MTE, which many teams do, but some teams don't, and you can have 27 And then it depends on if you're a three-game or a two-game MTE. If it's a three-game like a Maui, then you get 24 other games total. So let's just use a complete hypothetical right now. Let's say you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of North Carolina. North Carolina is scheduled to play in the Maui Invitational, which is obviously going to get played. We just don't know where and in what format and on what exact days now. But North Carolina, if it plays in the ACC and the ACC ultimately decides all right, you know what? We're going to stick with the 20-game conference schedule for this season. That means North Carolina will only have four other opportunities to play non-conference games because three of them are taken up by the Maui Invitational. Well, one of those is the CBS Sports Classic, which you and I both believe they're going to still try and pull off some way, somehow. I don't see why that wouldn't happen. But then North Carolina's got a lot of decisions to make about what games it can and cannot do. It introduces a lot of of thorniness about how college basketball can get this non-conference schedule off the ground to some sort of uh, accessible and successful degree. I'll push that for the second half of the podcast. Another thing, minimums. 13 games against Division I opponents right now is the minimum threshold a team must have in order to be eligible to make the NCAA tournament. In a normal year, it's just 50% of the allowable um, games here, so now we have 13. That shouldn't be an issue. This also means the actual start date for college basketball is preseason. It comes on October 14th. If you want to get into countdowns, keep that in mind. Uh, We also have a recommendation, but not a mandate, that all teams play at least four non-conference games. The reason this is a strong recommendation is obviously there's scuttlebutt out there that there may be some conferences that decide to look at the situation in our country with coronavirus near their campus in their communities and say we are not comfortable or maybe some individual schools will say we are not comfortable with playing non-conference games as early as November 25th you talk to us you know the week after Christmas maybe the situation is different but because of that if they go league only, it's going to create some wild scenarios with college basketball, tournament resumes, who played non-con, who didn't, and that's just to be figured out down the road. But they want teams to play non-conference games if they possibly can. There's a couple other tertiary things we don't need to get into, the minutia of it on this podcast here. But what was not decided that I was told would be decided, they just didn't get to it today, is we don't know how many times a week teams are going to have to be tested, and that is a big detail parish because the testing costs a lot of money and conferences and schools they can't afford that right now and so that that maker is going to have to be met eventually but that hasn't been decided I would expect three times a week is going to be the standard but that uh, is yet to be officially voted in and we don't have 
the stuff that's also going to mean a lot in terms of, okay, on game days, it's this COVID protocol, A, B, C, D, and E, and other potential protocols that might come into play with MTEs and trying to establish venues that technically meet certain standards. And that's going to be a, a little bit of a mess as well. So we haven't gotten there. So that is what was decided today. When I asked Gavit, I asked him, like, right now, you got a date, but, like, do you think the season is on pace, ahead of pace, behind pace of, like, what you'd like it to be? And he said, well, no, it's, it's unfortunately, it's undeniably behind pace. I mean, normally we'd be starting practice in less than two weeks from now. We're doing our best. This was a big day, but there's still so much work to do. And he was quick to remind and say, listen, we hope that November 25th is going to be the date. But let it be clear here that everyone is prepared to have that not be the case if we can't assure testing and the health and safety at levels that we hope will be there but are not there yet. And also college football, he didn't say one is going to be linked to the other. And I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast, but we got to hope that we look up in the middle of October parish and we haven't had a situation where like half the SEC games, a third of the Big 12 games, two Clemson games get postponed. Like that stuff will have an impact if college basketball can get off the ground in time. It's not going to be directly tied to it, but it's obviously a factor and something that if you can't wait for the season to start listening to this podcast, just keep it in mind. Like root for college basketball or college football to not have these delays because I'll remind you, even though we haven't had a lot of big time programs on television yet, there have been a number of of cancellations or postponements already. And that stuff has to be staved off to give college hoops its best start as starting the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Right. I, um, as far as testing, my understanding is that the NCAA will have guidelines, but not protocols. Um, when it comes to just playing your season, like the sec will have standards and the ACC will have standards, but those might not be the same as, you know, the Southern conference or the uh, summit league. And so this is primarily when I talk to coaches, why some of the high major leagues, the ACC most notably do not want to play non-league games because they don't believe that a smaller conference is going to have the money to test at the level that they are going to consistently test. In fact, earlier today, I talked to a mid-major coach and he just was completely candid. He said, he mentioned one school and he said, because he had talked to somebody who, who's, who coaches at this high major school. He said, that school is spending $70,000 a week. I mean, maybe a week on its entire athletic department testing. And he said, we can't afford that. Mm -hmm. So when I talked to that coach, that coach's boss doesn't want him playing my guys. So this is going to be a big problem. And the way it gets resolved for the NCAA tournament is that is when the NCAA will take over. Um, it, like, and I think it'll be the case for multi-team events. Like, I think the promoters will be in, um, in, in charge of testing and making sure all of that is taken care of to a, um, to a, to, you know, to an uh, adequate level. But when it just comes to, hey, uh, Kentucky's supposed to play Austin P this weekend, what's the testing requirements there? I don't think the NCAA is going to get involved in that. And I think it's going to be up to Austin P or its league and Kentucky or its league. And that is why Kentucky might not want to get on a basketball court with Austin P. I think non-league scheduling high majors against low majors, high majors against mid majors. There's going to be, I'm just telling you, and you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I don't think I'm just telling you, there's going to be real reservations 
from the high major schools who basically bottom line it this way. We are spending all of this money to test, 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 taking all of these precautions. We are not about to run our team onto a court with a school that we know isn't testing to the same level. That's correct. Okay. So a couple things on this. Um, to kind of bring listeners into the realities of a lot of schools and conferences right now. I mean, I've been told that there are certain schools that have literally only been able to test their players twice in like the past seven to eight weeks because that's all they can afford. I was, I, I've been told there's been schools that have been done, have done it once. And that's I, got, I, the, the coach I talked to today, he's a mid-major coach. He said, we are testing every other week. And that, and for some, that's that's more frequent. So, yeah. but I, I do want to quote Gavit directly here because I was of the impression that you were that you just laid out. Because I basically asked Gavit, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but right now you have control over the season season start date, everything related to the tournament, the game minimums and maximums, and then it's like some other small stuff. But like in terms of like what the D1 Council and and you and everyone, that's that's it. You don't really have any say over the non-conference season. Like that's just not in your wheelhouse. It's up to schools and conferences to decide. He said, yes, but here's his his exact quote was. There's also the potential, as there was for full sports, to have medical policies in place, and in this case, testing protocol. We do expect that will be part of this. A requirement of testing per week will be fundamental to all of this. That has not been determined yet, voted on yet, and what remains unclear is if that would specifically tied to the NCAA tournament, GP, as you referenced, or if it would be something that is an outright rule. Like, if you're going to play college basketball, we're going to need you to prove as an NCAA member that you're testing two or three times a week, or if it's going to be a strong recommendation the same way they can't tell teams they got to play four non-conference games this season. They're just going to request that if it's reasonable, you do so. Keep an eye on that going forward because the testing is huge. I talked with the conference commissioner on Tuesday who ran the numbers for me and said he expects to... Right now, it to be in the neighborhood of four to five thousand dollars per week to only test men's and women's basketball teams if you did it three times a week at about twenty five bucks a pop or so, and to be able to do that. You're looking at it through like, okay, is that in our conference season? And then what about our non-conference season? Are we going to need to rely on these MTEs to get some of it done? And then if we're playing another school, like they're going to be able to pick up the bill with our testing. There's so much still to figure out. And I'm glad we kind of wound up at this part of the podcast with discussion, Parish, because today, Wednesday was a very good day for college basketball, get a date out there. You and I have been on the same page and optimistic about this for a number of weeks now that we will have a season, and I definitely believe that's going to happen. But I think it needs to be reinforced just how critical, prominent, and abundant testing is going to be to having a season that's just not completely stripped of its integrity. I mean, we talk here, and the day started with the Big Ten announcing (laughs) – that it's going to return October 24th, and this comes less than a month after um, a statement was put out saying that the, the the vote was definitive and they weren't playing in the fall. Well, that's now changed, and the only reason it's changed is because everything around the Big Ten's capacity to have rapid response, practically everyday testing changed it. It's going to be no different from basketball. I've heard from plenty of people who say football's once a week 
basketball, you can play, especially in like these MTEs, and if it gets crammed, you you might play literally five games in eight days to try and meet your non-conference quota if you can get it done at one site with an MTE and pluck off another team or two that just happens to be staying there in kind of a standalone improv game like I personally think we might see Gonzaga and Baylor do, both in uh, Jimmy V but not scheduled to play each other just yet. So just keep all of that in mind. The advancement of testing and what schools can and cannot do that, I do think we are going to have a wonky non-conference season because of this, and it wouldn't stun me. I don't think we're heading there yet, Parrish, but it would not stun me if we get to the beginning of November and we come to learn, or maybe late October, and we come to learn that there's another conference or two, not even the Ivy because we know they're out, that just says, you know what, we're almost entirely out or we're out of non-conference. We're not comfortable yet. We can't afford it. We're going to wait to start our teams playing basketball in league play in January. Well, I'll tell you this. If you start making it a requirement to be tested three times a week, um, if you're going to participate in the sport of college basketball, you, unless testing is much more uh, easily attainable and affordable by then, you're going to have leagues just opting out of it. Like if you start telling the Big South right now that you have to test three times a week every member, uh, of 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 every team uh, and staff member, or else you can't play college basketball. Like USC Upstate, they would just okay, we're done then. Right. I mean, you know, if you look at the, at, at college football, it, it's the school the the leagues that decided to play are the wealthiest, and the leagues that aren't playing are n- not in that same category. And though they all offer up different rationalizations for playing. The truth is that the SEC is playing because we've got the money to do it and it's worth a lot of money. Um, same reason the Big Ten is going to try to do it now and all of the power five conferences except for the Pac-12 and even they might go down that road before the fall is over. Um, the, the reason uh, the smaller football conferences aren't playing is it because necessarily because they care more about the health of their student athletes than SEC uh, schools do? Although you could make the argument that they might. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not worth as much money to play, and they don't have the money to try to pull it off. So this stuff does come down to finances, and that's why I'm not speaking in absolutes. Because who knows? We'll see. But I'd be surprised if the NCAA actually says you can't play college basketball unless you test ABC. Like you cannot, I don't think you're going to be able to ask Longwood to test the same way North Carolina does. And so what you might end up having instead is the North Carolinas of the world saying, listen, um, we're testing four times a week and before every game, but Longwood isn't. So we're going to play other schools like us and we're going to let Longwood play other schools like Longwood and uh, we'll see in the NCAA tournament at which point the NCAA takes over all testing so then everybody is tested equally. I think you're going to see a scenario where the highest majors, at least some of them and perhaps lots of them just have no interest in messing around with the smaller conferences strictly because of the different the, the presumed differences in testing. I have heard this. I've heard angst and anxiety tied to this. Um, and for those that might be curious about 
uh, the 14 days that got hacked off the start of the season. Those that's now like that's not the season anymore. So if you're a fan of a team that had uh, however many games in that, that, that that you've been freed from that contractually, basically it's it's not projected that that's going to be anything that any school that loses out on a potential buy game situation is going to have any grounds to stand on because the NCAA has made the decision that it's it, it's not permissible to play college basketball before November 25th. But I have heard a lot of angst about that. I mean, I've, I've heard stories about coaches at mid-majors getting really nervous really fast, calling up uh, the other head coach or you know the ops guy going, listen man, I need to play this game. My athletic department absolutely needs to play this game against you. And the bigger school is like, we can't necessarily commit to this right now because we, at the time, you know, we don't know when the start date's going to be. We don't know how many non-conference games we're going to be able to play. You know, we, and if we can't host you and have fans and have a return on the gate and make a profit like it's just not worth it now having said that it has been uplifting and i and i talked to i didn't talk to john calipari directly but i talked to two people who have talked to him uh informally and kind of freely about this john calipari has been out there promoting this idea that it is on the power conference schools that can do this to at least look out for the smaller guys and help them here and there so if you're a Kentucky and you can get one or two games against mid-major opponents, like, freaking do it, okay? Because you, what we don't want, and part of this is he's, he's mentioned every time he's brought it up, his son now plays at Detroit, and he's in his final year there. And so I think some of that's informed by, you know, having his own family member um, uh, play up at UD and, and wanting to see him have something of a non-conference season and be able to play. But it's great to see John Calipari be at the forefront of discussing this kind of thing. I don't know... When we get to a better answer in a month from now, what these non-conference scouts are going to look like, I don't know how many of the little guys are going to be helped out. I think you've got a potential for a lot of mids playing mids in like pod situations end of November. But it kind of gets back to what I alluded to before, GP, uh, 10 minutes ago or so. Because this the decision has been made to start the season on November 25th, um, we are just going to have an absolute cluster. I mean, a cluster once this decision came in i mean i the phone just started going nuts with people talking about okay my mte just got canceled what am i going to do for games asking me questions i don't have answers to as it pertains to scheduling and whether teams that are going to play in mtes that are going to go to disney and play in orlando going to go to mohegan sun play in connecticut go to a few other spots i've heard of with cities potentially las vegas indianapolis louisville we'll have to see on down the line can they manage to cobble together games because what i think coaches want to do is if you tell them that they can go to a site and theoretically get five or six non-conference games done in eight or nine or 10 days time, they absolutely want to do that. They want the peace of mind knowing that if it's allowable, if their bosses say they can do it, that they would get the games done, just get them out of the way, even though it would be it would be tight, if you will, for their players. Like It's not an ideal situation, as opposed to having to worry about travel or the situations you referenced, Parrish, with you know scheduling X school from, from the Big South or the MEAC or the Southland or wherever and just avoiding that altogether. But what I think is inevitable, and I would love to be wrong on this, is be it through opt-outs or otherwise, I think it is inevitable that college basketball is going to have a situation where you're going to have just a cluster of these teams over here, and those teams have fulfilled. They're going to get their 27 games in. They got it done, and then we're going to have this lumpiness where you're going to have an entire nation of programs just 
outright struggling to even get three of those games. And so while no one cares about most of these mid-majors and single-bid leagues, I get all that. Uh, An unfortunate byproduct of that is, well, that's still going to affect resumes. And so if we're trying to get everyone to play at least four non-conference games and at least get some decent balance with a non-conference season, it would be better if everyone could be accounted for. And I just don't see any way that's going to possibly happen. They're trying to make it happen, but there's only so many teams, so many games, so many spots with pods, so many doable, drivable bus games that you can improv at the last minute. And I just foresee a situation here where we look up in March, if we've been fortunate enough to have some teams play 25 or 26 games, we're going to have other teams that have played literally like 10 or 12 games. It's going to be a weird looking season. And the decision today to not play on the 23rd and move these MTEs, I think just exacerbates that problem. Um, I would assume that you're going to look up and the smaller leagues that don't opt out, because I do think some will, the smaller leagues that don't opt out, you're going to see them scrambling to play each other to create non-league games. Because though the point you make about John Calipari is true, and I take John at his word, um, I'm not sure I'm not sure he's in the majority of high major coaches when it comes to his opinion that it's our job to take care of the little guys, because I talked to somebody who, um, you know, is is on the level of a John Calipari, you know, works at a big school, has been successful. And his opinion was literally the exact opposite. He said, listen, I got people in my athletic department lost their jobs. You know, I've got staff members who have had to take pay cuts. And he's like, I took a pay cut. I'm fine. You know, I make millions of dollars. I'm okay. But there are people who I work with, friends with, in this athletic department who lost their jobs. It is, once we're, we're losing people in our athletic department, it is no longer our job to take care of the smaller schools. Like, it's not our responsibility. We need to look out for us right now because it's our people who are, you know, unemployed. And I think that's a pretty reasonable point of view. Like it might, I, I, I am, I hate it for the smaller schools. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that they have John Calipari out there championing for them, but I can just tell you, John is um, it, it, not every high major coach falls in line with John on this one because I, you know, I'll just keep it with this one coach I was talking to. He said, we've had, we've had to lay off people in our athletic department. Once we are laying off people in our athletic department, why is it our responsibility to pay $85,000 to a summit league team to come play us in front of no fans? That's that, that's no longer our responsibility. It's a valid, it's a valid thing without a doubt. And I think Cal is talking about, Potentially doing in that kind of situation where if you slice it in half, it's it's forty thousand or whatever. But also, if it, you can be do it at a, an MTV event, you make that happen. A couple quick things before we break and hit the other topic on the pod. Um, I will be interested to see, and I don't have any information on this yet. Uh, I will be interested to see if the season does indeed start with the Champions Classic. I think that it will. I've also been told that the teams in the Champions Classic are open to not a true round robin, but they are open to playing each other. Two, you know, two of the two of the three. So you've got Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky. And so just hypothetical, I don't know the matchups off the top of my head, but Kentucky would be willing to play, you know, it could play Michigan State and Duke, but it wouldn't play Kansas, and, and Kansas would play two of the other three. So just keep an eye yeah. on that. And we'll get into, like, next week, 
th- this whole non-con, like what can happen, what this is going to unfortunately or fortunately like dominate, I think, our podcast conversations for the next month because we're going to have scheduling updates literally by the week and you would not even believe the amount of frenzy that's happening behind the scenes trying to get all this stuff done. The other thing is I talked to Gavit about the tournament and just an update here. You know, nothing has changed in terms of like they still want to hold this tournament with 68 teams in the middle of March at all 14 sites with fans in the building. Like, obviously, they are planning for other contingencies. Um, I did ask Gavit if he to estimate the possibility or the chance that it would be a 64 team tournament instead of 68 because this is a darling thing of mine. One year only, please let's do it. And, um, I think he refused to comment specifically on that. So I th- that, to me, that's actually a little bit of a glimmer of a hope. But I do think there is still a possibility that we will start the season. This is based off the conversation I had with him tonight. I think we will start the season, as weird as this is, we will start the season and not know the format for the NCAA tournament. They would prefer that not to be the case, and there might be a reaffirmation, 68 teams, here's what we think we can do. But they're working on a number of contingencies with 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 locations, reducing them, sizes, but the people are making those discussions right now, it's very limited and it is super duper private because you don't want to give any kind of false hope to any potential city or any potential format that just doesn't come to be. So they're going to try and keep as tight a lid on that as possible. But when we talk about a start date, everyone wants to know about, okay, is the tournament still going to be where it is? That is the absolute plan. They'll be prepared to move it back as necessary, but... um, I lean more toward right now that we will have this tournament in March. The only way that changes, in my opinion, is if the season doesn't start until January, and then I think they'd be willing to move it back. Right. Um, and it's fine to start the season and not know exactly how you're going to handle your postseason. Major League Baseball did it. They started the season. They were like, you know what? Let's just have like a, yeah. uh, eight teams from each league be the postseason. They were already like deep, relatively deep into the season, so it's fine. Um, but if I were advising Dan... Get those contingency plans ready. I, I I agree with you, Parrish. And, man, I'd love to see 64 personally. That's just, you know, well, I'll save it for another podcast. But I, I think just, you know, why why just why add another site? Why do Dayton? Why add those teams? Just, you know, do 64. Who even knows if we're going to have all these conferences play league games? Maybe they will, but we might have one or two conferences just wind up bailing this year. You know, so I don't know. Just keep that in mind. It, it should be noted for whatever it's worth. The um, director of the CDC earlier today said that, his estimation is that we will we should have a vaccine readily available for Americans um, third quarter 2021. So the idea that we would be able to put fans in an NCAA tournament venues in March seems uh, um, unlikely. You know, not and that's not my opinion. It's like that's based on what I listened to the head of the CDC say earlier today. So that when I say get those contingency plans ready, it's not because I'm like out on a limb here. It's because um, you know, the head of the CDC is prob- would probably tell you uh, the same thing. Today was also um, a significant day for the all vote no play movement. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. 
the dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone think about those adventurous activities you can do like me taking a ski trip up with the family maybe going on a camping expedition anything and everything Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So, listen, the big headline from Wednesday was the scheduled start date for the season, November 25th, the recommended number of non-league games for the maximum number of games you can play in the season, 27 if you're in a multi-team event. But there was another thing that was settled today, and that is that all activities are going to be halted on the first Tuesday after November 1st each year. It's an election day, and it's a way to demonstrate the importance of election day to the student athletes. And that um, I, I think in most people's opinions, I hope in most people's minds is a positive thing, but I, I didn't want to end this podcast without at least shining a light on that because um, it's a, it's an important thing and something that was spearheaded by um, Eric Reveno, the, the assistant coach at Georgia tech. Yeah, he, it was on June 3rd of this year, and it was uh, a tweet that basically came out of George Floyd's murder and then, you know, a widespread protest and renewed calls for social justice, anti-racism, um, and, you know, really launched a second civil rights movement that we are still living through on a, on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. And Reveno basically just said, like, you know, when we talk about all this and, and, and the importance of voting, having your voice heard, everyone's voice heard, like in the NCAA, you just, we shouldn't have any activities on these days. Like we, sh- it should be a day where everyone, players, coaches, administrators, all staff, they vote. We don't have any activity, no games, no practices, none of that mandated. And instead just take the day and make sure that people vote. And it wasn't just like that sentiment alone. Like did a lot of research, showed trend lines where the amount of people between the ages of 18 and 24 that are voting have regularly dropped and declined like every single election since the 1970s. And so with all of that, it was historic. I mean, it is, to me, it's the most important thing that was passed on Wednesday, even though in the context of the here and now, as we're talking about a start date for college basketball, you know, they did stuff with college football and having the FCS championships. It's sort of like a footnote with all that um, in the here and now, but this is the long lasting thing. There is a uh, one thing to know is if, if you scheduled a game in any NCAA sport this season to be played on November 3rd, election day this year, and that game was agreed to before mid July, the game can still be played if it so chooses. And Oh, by the way, when Reveno did this, there was a huge, huge push across college athletics to the point where, you know, so many schools basically decided that this was going to be the case. And that's all well and fine. But now this is something that's 
on the record books. And I was told was like pretty much the quickest thing discussed on Wednesday during the D1 council meeting. Like there was no, there was no debate. It was just kind of, here's what it is. Everyone kind of agrees. This makes most sense going forward. The first Tuesday after the first Monday, every November, particularly in, in federal election years, but every election, every November, when there's uh, meaningful election stuff, this is, this is not going to be accountable day toward athletic activities. And so credit to, uh, to Eric Reveno, former head coach, uh, up at Portland, uh, former assistant at Stanford during their heyday and now working on Josh Pastner's staff at Georgia Tech to make this happen. It is something that you'd have to believe will be one of those rules that uh, that never changes. You know, as long as the NCAA exists, Paris, this is, this is going to be there. I think so. And it's a great thing because I believe the studies do show that if you vote when you're young, you will vote when you're old. You will continue to vote. Like once you become a part of the process, you remain, a, for the most part, a part of the process. If you're not a voter when you're young, there's a good chance you'll never be a voter. And so this is a way to stress to young people um, how important this is. I mean, you know, basketball coaches, all they, all they think about is basketball. Like, and the idea that they could sit down with their players and, and say, honestly, Hey, this is so important. This thing that we're asking you to do that we are not even going to deal with basketball at all today. We got a season coming up. We got a championship we're trying to win, but on this day, we're going to wake up, do our online classes, and we're not weightlifting. We're not getting shots up. We're not, um, we're not practicing or organizing in any way on a court. We're going to get up. We're going to get our schoolwork done. We're going to go vote, and then we're going to watch democracy unfold in real time. Like We're going to enjoy this and, and, and participate in this. Now, the wild thing is that this is going to be an election day like no election day of my lifetime. Because all of the analysts, or at least most of the analysts, seem to suggest that there's a very good chance we will not know who won the election on the night of the election because of all of the melon ballots. That's that's a good point here. I want to uh, I want to play you something just to see how much things have changed in the past four years. Paris, tell me if you remember when when this went down and uh, and how people responded to it at the time. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't even know yesterday was election day. Um, so it was so important to me that I didn't even know it was happening. Um, we're focused on other things here. Uh, I don't really make political comments. Um, so if I say I like one person, that means that everybody that voted for the other person doesn't like me. So why, why would I do that? Um, you know, I want what's best for our country. I'm not sure I can figure that out. Uh, I want what's best for, you know, people who want to improve the quality of their life. Um, and I hope whoever our leader is uh, will certainly do all that he can do to make our country safe and improve the quality of life. A lot of the people, you know, that we have in our country. And I don't think I'm qualified to determine, you know, who that should be. Okay, that's Nick Saban. Sure. Four years ago. You remember that story, GP? I, I do. And I do remember him. Like, he got ripped by some people for that. And he should. But, uh, but uh, you're going to defend him? Because he should be. Because that is. No, no, no. I'm not going to defend okay. him. I thought it was ridiculous okay. and embarrassing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought it was embarrassing. Like a grown man who is a leader of young men and who says, I didn't even know it was election day. First off, that's got to be a lie. Like yeah. I just don't, there, there's, it's impossible to not know it's election day. Like my six-year-old will know when it's election day. So they, first off, I think it's a lie. And, and, and then secondly, it just, it's a bad message to send. I mean, you are Nick Saban, the most prominent person in the state of Alabama, the leader of young people, and you put no importance on election day, which sends a certain type of message. I do remember people ripping him then. It wasn't like 
across the board. Like Nick Saban had to come back and apologize the next day. I will say this. If a coach said that exact same thing this time, he would get ripped across okay. the board. Yes. And, and he would deserve to. And I, I don't know if I ripped him on the podcast then, but I remember th- this is four years ago when, by the way, it was Trump, okay, going up against Hillary Clinton and having the most polarized election we've ever had up until the one now we're, we're leading up to now. And it's, it's not funny. It's not cute. I got nothing against Nick Saban, but, like, there's been this, like, oh, he's, like, an old man who doesn't have email. Dude, it's 2020. Like, he finally admitted, I think, a month ago that his wife was like, I'm not doing this anymore. You're going to get your own damn emails at this point. You know, for someone that is the supposedly great coach, leader of men, it, sounds a to- it sends a total clown message. I didn't think it was interesting, cute, or funny then to, to this idea. And I believe I'm with you. It's a lie. There's no way you couldn't have known in the moment that that day was election day. So I only bring it up to say, look how far we've come in four years time. No coach would ever dare say that again, nor should they. And, and, and going forward, I think coaches across the board have taken more responsibility to their roles when it comes to these kinds of issues because this goes back to the fact that you've got rich white men, more often than not, coaching black men that come from backgrounds with not a lot of privilege, overcome a lot there, and they aren't identifying with them beyond sort of being the coach and trying to make them a better man through the prism of sports only. The conversation has gotten much wider, deeper, more mature than that, particularly this year. It's been accelerated, which is great. And all this ties into what Reveno tweeted about, what we saw happen on Wednesday. This is a good thing. You want an informed, educated voting body, no matter who you're voting for, okay? Because when we talk about all these injustices that people want to want to write and change, the change the direction of our country, so many things that have to do with racial prejudice, are reinforced by the people that we elect to our government, and that is reinforced all the more when the electorate is not as informed or they're lazy or they didn't know there was a there was an election day. So all of this stuff comes in to our lives on an everyday basis, and it was a great day for the NCAA, and I look forward to Nick Saban talking about how he did know it was election day and he did vote this year. And we can close on this. Um, every time I tweeted about this in the past, the all vote, no play movement, I'll have somebody reply with, oh, would they be doing this if it wasn't President Trump? And the answer to that question is probably no. I do think it is at least loosely tied to President Trump. Um, You know, there there are other factors here, the George Floyd murder being a a big uh, uh, launching point for a whole lot of things in this country. But do I think this would be the movement it's become if not for the person in the white house right now. No, I don't think so. Um, but, but what I will say, and, and I respect the, the, these coaches who fall into the category I'm about to describe. Not every college basketball coach voted for Hillary Clinton and not every college basketball coach is going to vote for Joe Biden. And so some of these coaches that are leading these movements, registration um, uh, gatherings, and uh, and and you know already committing to taking off election day even before the NCAA mandated it, they are largely creating a situation where 
the majority of their players, especially when it comes to basketball, are going to vote a certain way in this election, which is the opposite way they're going to vote in this election. And yet, you know, because I, I know who these guys are. I, I wouldn't out them. <laughs> it's weird that you, you could out uh, a, 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 somebody who votes a certain way in an election. It could be like the worst thing for them. Right. But like, I know who these guys are. And, and they would never publicly acknowledge that they vote for President Trump. I mean, look what happened to Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. He wore an OAN shirt, and like, like that was a big problem for him. And a college basketball coach publicly supporting the current president of the United States right now. And for anybody listening, I don't care what you think of the president or how you're going to vote. I'm just speaking in factual stuff here. A college basketball coach publicly supporting the current president would be a real problem for him in his locker room and, 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 and perhaps – um, in a variety of ways when it comes to, to recruiting. So you'd never get them to acknowledge it publicly. Never. You get plenty of people to acknowledge they're going to vote for Joe Biden publicly. You wouldn't get any. I don't think you would get a college basketball coach to publicly acknowledge he's going to vote for President Trump. My point is this, though. They are working to create voters for the person they don't want to win. And um, I, I just found that interesting. Like I see some of these coaches do these drives, registration drives, and and I go, well, of course that guy's doing the drive. Like I know, I know where he stands politically. I know what he's about. But then I see some coaches doing the registration drives and vote, 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 and they aren't going to vote the same way that their players vote. And I've just I've found that to be an interesting dynamic here. I and you know what? That's how it should be. Um, and yeah, I mean. To anyone listening to podcasts, vote however you want to vote. That's the, that's the very essence of living in this country here. Okay, so uh, as long as we are encouraging everyone to fulfill that duty, I think that's a I think that's a great thing. And yeah, today was a was a was a very historic day. Um, as we wrap, I did neglect to mention one more thing. You mentioned recruiting; it popped in my head. Recruiting visits and is is a dead period now, officially as of today, until the end of the year. By the way, so for those that uh, are really invested in who your teams recruit, uh, that's going to continue in a virtual sense. We're talking no visits at all, like not not even sneaking into the campus for an off, you know, for an unofficial. None of that's going to be allowed. Now, <laughs> might you have a staff or two try and make it happen? Absolutely, I think that's going to be the case. You're going to have trying people try and break the rules there but it is technically not allowed to at least january 1 and the consequences of that will be figured out in the years to come based on who goes where and who was over recruited and under recruited but that that is something that is making a lot of noise today in college basketball that's not you know top item a b or c but the fact that this is not going to be doable until at least january 1 at least it might even be after that is a is a significant thing for the program you root for as it tries to build a class for 21 22 and 23 Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry and Meffin Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thanks, you guys, for listening once again to the Iron College Basketball Podcast in the middle of a horrific pandemic. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell one person about it. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. So knock that out if you can. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.